Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Senior Salute Radio. Senior Salute Radio is presented by the elder and disability law firm of Victoria L. Collier. Hello, and welcome to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the elder and disability law firm of Victoria L. Collier, and I am your host, Victoria. Senior Salute Radio brings timely information to leading age boomers and seniors addressing the issues of aging, caregiving, and maintaining quality of life. Each show, we also salute the life of a senior. Today, we will be talking about living with neurological illnesses, specifically ALS and Parkinson's. And with me are Sarah Ambro, Executive Director of the ALS Association, Georgia Chapter, and Barbara Mooney, board member of the American Parkinson's Disease Association in the Georgia chapter. And so, Sarah, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, ALS is a few letters attached together. What is that? So ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Which is why we say ALS. Correct. (laughs) Because we can't pronounce or spell that other word. Right. So it's a progressive neurodegenerative disease that affects the nerve cells and the brain and the motor neurons and how they um, talk to each other, essentially. And over time, um, the body becomes paralyzed, ultimately, and the brain is still very active. And so when you say it affects the brain, what I'm hearing you say is that the brain and what's happening to it affects the rest of your body. That's correct. But you stay coherent, competent, while all this is happening to the rest of your body. That's correct. And so, you know, is it an easy diagnosis or is it confused often with other types of illnesses? Unfortunately, it's not an easy diagnosis. Essentially, it's a diagnosis by process of elimination. Um, Oftentimes, symptoms manifest um, and look like others. And so through a series of tests and eliminations is how they often come to the conclusion of ALS. So what other kinds of things could present themselves first that make it seem like it might be something else? Sure. Um, Because the disease presents itself in different ways, there are different symptoms. So, for instance, an individual may um, find themselves tripping more often. Um, Oftentimes, a foot might start dragging, so they call that foot drop. Um, And you might just trip over the carpet, not just up a step. Or you might start to lose the grip on your pen or pencil, if we're still using writing instruments these (laughs) days, Um, and, and not be able to grasp the fork as strong. Um, Or you might have some slurred speech. And you may be thinking you've just got this chronic case of bronchitis or something. You know, maybe you think you had a slight stroke. In actuality, it could be. And and maybe like the, like you were saying, not being able to grip the fork. Maybe they think that they have a pinched nerve or or something that do with their spine. Is that? that Yes, that's correct. Oftentimes, I hear many stories, um, unfortunately, from patients who say they've gone through back surgeries because they think that it was a, you know, misallocated pain or a disc or something of that nature in their back, and they go through back surgeries. And in the end, it's actually ALS. And so is there pain with it, or is it, or is it just the inability to use, like a numbness or even just inability? It's hard to say. In some cases, there are pain, and I, I think every patient's um, experience of ALS is different. Um, so depending on where the onset of the disease is, there could be some pain. And so with it being a disease of let's rule everything out first, how long would you say it usually takes to actually get a real diagnosis of the real issue uh, being ALS? 
again, it depends on um, the individual and how um, how active they are in advocating for their own medical health. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you know, sometimes we don't want to acknowledge there might be something wrong with us or we might have this pain, so we we tend to go with our own pain tolerance and just minimize what's happening, you know, right. because if I acknowledge it, then, you know, there might be something. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So I have heard stories um, where it can take just a few months to over a year to be diagnosed. Um, the, the problem or the challenge is um, that neurologists don't see a diagnosis of ALS all the time. So you may have one of the best neurologists that you're seeing, but if he's never diagnosed an ALS case, it may take him longer to figure that out and then refer you to a neurologist who specializes in ALS. Because neurologists generally, I mean, they do all kinds of testing, but they're, you know, they, don't you draw pictures and don't you do math and word placement and things like that with neurologists to kind of see how your brain is is functioning right? There is a function. <laughs> there is a functional rating scale that they use as far as um, diagnosis. But the the other challenge too is general practitioners, because when you first have something that's not quite right, you probably go to your general practitioner before you even go to a specialist. And you're probably not thinking first thing is, oh, I think I have ALS, right? Right, <laughs> so. right. So one of the things we try to do at the ALS Association is education awareness and outreach, and that's not just to the general population, but to allied health professionals as well. And is there a cure for this, or is there something that they can do as far as medication or treatment to either cure it or slow it down, or what is the treatment? There is no cure um, because the cause of ALS is still unknown, unfortunately. Um, there is only one drug on the market currently, um, Riluzole, um, that helps um, slow the progression, but very minimally, and it's a very expensive drug. So that drug may only extend life by about three months is the average that I've heard. And do people have to pay out of pocket for that? Or is it covered if they have insurance, like a Medicare D program or? Right. Don't quote me on that. But um, <laughs> I, I do believe that it is covered. But um, it is a very expensive drug. I've heard like $1,200 a month it can be. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so with there not being a cure... Um, and it's hard to diagnose, how do you get education out to people, and what are you educating them about at that point? Mm -hmm. um, early signs and symptoms, uh, to be your own advocate for your own health, certainly. Um, and even though there's no cure currently for the disease, we do have multidisciplinary clinics. So once someone is diagnosed with ALS, um, they are encouraged to go to a multidisciplinary clinic, which means they would see their neurologist and other specialty doctors at the same time. And that has proven to increase quality of life for those living with ALS. Like what other kind of specialty doctors would they need? Um, they would see physical therapists, occupational therapists, sometimes a speech therapist, respiratory therapist because it affects your breathing, um, and a dietitian because nutrition's really important. Oftentimes ALS patients lose weight rapidly. And so when you have ALS, it's about keeping the calories on and eating as much as possible or eating high cal calorie content food. And so like the physical therapy or the occupational therapy, is that to help them 
manage the changes their body's going through so that they can, if I can't grasp my fork very well, it teaches me how then to eat better in a different way. Right. So physical therapy would continue to keep the muscles that are working as strong as possible. And occupational therapy would help you adapt to the changes that your body's experiencing. So if you are not able to button your shirt, um, maybe they show you a new trick on how you can um, do that better. And you said that, you know, they don't yet know what causes ALS. So I've got two questions that have to do with that. And one is, is there any kind of thought that it's genetic or is it just out from the air any of us could get it? No, that's <laughs> correct. Um, both. So there is a stream of um, ALS that has been noticed that is genetic. Um, I know there's a couple of families here in Georgia where they have, you know, over five people in the family that have, over a period of time, had ALS. Um, so there is a genetic stream. And then there, there's what we call sporadic ALS. And the causes are unknown. You are listening to Senior Salute Radio. And we are talking about living with neurologic illness. And specifically, we are listening to Sarah Embro, Executive Director of the ALS Association in the Georgia chapter. And so you were just saying that, you know, there's two strings that have been identified as far as ALS. One is genetically related. The other is we have no idea. Um, and it could be anyone at any time. But there actually has also been, at least through the military or the Veterans Association, um, they have listed ALS as a presumptive illness if you were in the military. That's correct. It has been noticed that military uh, veterans are twice as likely to be affected with ALS. Again, they haven't determined why or how that is the case. It does not seem to matter whether you were in active duty or inactive duty reserves um, or stationed here in the States or somewhere else. And certainly is, has no connection to Vietnam uh, with mm -hmm. all the other presumptives there. So, you know, I mean, all the military people have an idea, mm -hmm. of course, um, or we have our opinions. <laughs> and I'm military. Um, and one of the clients I have actually was in the military. And um, he's in his 40s, um, an RN a nurse. Mm -hmm. And um, he got ALS and immediately applied for VA benefits and you know you hear the horror stories about how long it takes to make you know get claims approved if ever um, and his was approved immediately and because it's one of those presumptive illnesses. Right so in 2008 the Department of Veteran Affairs uh, identified ALS as a service-connected disease um, and so essentially if anyone has served 90 continuous days of service in the military um, they qualify for their VA benefits and they waive the waiting period is what you're talking about. So for the stories that people are talking about how long it is taking to get yeah. benefits, um, fortunately for our, our families that are military with ALS, um, they haven't had that experience. They do receive their benefits quickly. And quite honestly, it's because the sense of urgency for this disease, the life expectancy upon diagnosis is two to five years. Two to five they years. They don't have the time to wait. Right, right. Well, the presumption is, just for everyone out there listening, is it's the shots that we get when we enter. So uh, that's the only common denominator among every military person that's out there. So, um, And so the other thing I wanted to ask on that same line was that there is no cure. So what are researchers doing and do they have challenges in finding, you know, a cure? Yes. So we've made a lot of progress over the last 10 years with research, um, but because it's like finding a needle in a haystack and there are different onsets of it, they can't isolate 
where and how the disease manifests because it's happening in different ways. Um, but what researchers are doing, or what even the government is doing, the CDC manages a national ALS registry um, research program. And so essentially, um, once someone is diagnosed with ALS, they can self-elect to register in this national registry. And they basically track their disease progression. And what it allows researchers to do is when they are doing their research and they get to the point where they're at clinical trials, they can go into this database of current ALS patients and look for the patients that fit the criteria of their research project. And these are patients who are willing to participate in clinical trials. And we need patients to register for that registry because we can't advance our research without people willing to, you know, try. And you have a short window in order to get gather the data and things like that. Exactly. So what, um, it, first of all, ALS, it's not a, a senior disease or an elderly disease. It can hit anybody at, what is the age range generally? Um, it does not discriminate. <laughs> okay. um, so I, I know people, there are several people in their 20s that I've seen diagnosed. We have a young man here in Georgia, you know, finished college, uh, great athlete, and um, ready to start his life, and he's been recently diagnosed. And then you have, um, you know, someone that's in the prime of their life, top of their career and family, diagnosed. And then there are older people as well have, have had a great life, and, and now they are experiencing that. Like in their 70s, them. 80s? Yeah, it does not discriminate, male or female or age. Or so race. there's no difference on male-female either. Mm-hmm. And so what are the kind of um, care that an ALS person should expect, you know, as their body um, degenerates? Is that the right word? That's correct. Um, Well, depending on the onset of the disease, um, some patients lose the ability to speak first and continue walking in our ambulatory. Others, it starts in their lower extremities and they become paralyzed first and then ultimately lose the ability to speak and um, eat. So, um, as, as it progresses, it depends. It's different for everyone, but it becomes very exhausting caregiving. Um, so oftentimes a spouse or a close family member is the primary caregiver, and eventually it becomes, you know, 24 hours, seven day a week. Um, and I've heard, now it's been a long time, when I first started my law firm um, 12 years ago, that it's actually extremely difficult finding like a skilled nursing facility that would accept an ALS patient. Is that still the case? Or is nursing home level of care uh, not only appropriate, but is it uh, fair to say that people can find that level of care when they need it? I think it's gotten somewhat better, but it is still a challenge. Now there is um, a place being built in Dahlonega called Chelsea Rehabilitation Park that is going to um, focus on um, neurological patients. Um, so there will be an option there, um, but it, it is a challenge. Uh, but there are a lot of great home health care companies and hospice groups that um, have become skilled and well-versed in ALS patients. And, you know, when we're talking home health care, obviously that's, generally speaking, private pay. That's correct. Hospice is covered by Medicare, which is helpful. And it's nice to know about the place in Dahlonega being open, opening up. Do you have any idea when they plan to... I do not know what their target date is. Great. Um, And so what specific services does the ALS Association of Georgia offer? Sure. So we have um, a three-pronged mission. Um, First and foremost, it's patient services. Um, We really um, want to be able to help an ALS patient and their family navigate 
navigate the waters of this disease and this journey. Um, you kind of get smacked in the face when you get diagnosed with ALS, and then you go, now what? And so that's what we're here for. So uh, we're not the experts in all areas, but what we do is we provide a lot of referral sources and other avenues for, for the patients. So depending to meet their needs, where they're at at that time during the progression of the disease. It's kind of funny. You've mentioned water and smacked in the face with mm -hmm. it. I know that there's an ice challenge going on right now uh, via social media on Facebook and other areas. And I was actually challenged, if you will. Uh, and what that means is uh, essentially you give a donation or you dump a bucket of ice cold water over your head. Uh, talk about smacking you in the face. Mm -hmm. um, or you can do both, of course. And so I did that. My four-year-old twins also partaked and they dumped water. Well, I dumped water over their heads, but they asked me to. Um, <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> to, to do the challenge and you know, to bring awareness. But what else can the community do to help in addition to the ice bucket over your head uh, awareness? Sure. So the ice bucket challenge has been an incredible social media frenzy that has brought more attention than we could have imagined to ALS. I mean, I have patients who say they're, they're crying at night because they never thought they'd see the day that people actually knew the word ALS. So it's been phenomenal. Um, but we also fundraise on a year-round basis to provide these services to our patients and families throughout the state. And um, our, our signature event is the Walk to Defeat ALS. And that's coming up in September, September 13th at the Georgia World Congress Center. And so all that information is on our website. Um, and then, of course, we're always looking for consistent corporate support and, and donor support. And so donations from corporations as well as individuals can make donations at any time. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And what is the website where they can uh, get more information and also make donations? Sure. It's www.alsaga.org. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing all that wonderful information about ALS. Well, thank you. Absolutely. And now uh, we're going to go to Barbara Mooney, board member of the American Parkinson's Disease Association, Georgia Chapter. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Why don't you introduce yourself for a second? Um, well, I, again, I'm Barbara Mooney, and I'm a native of Georgia. My husband, David, and I have been married for almost 28 years. We have uh, two kids, and um, our son, Matt, has uh, his family with two kids, so we're grandparents. <laughs> Congratulations. And thank you. I hear that's even better than being parents. <laughs> it's great. It's great. We also have a daughter that's 13, so we have a little spread in age there and uh, so a built-in babysitter yes <laughs> she loves it yeah. wonderful well, you are listening to senior salute radio presented by the elder and disability law firm of victoria l collier and we are talking now with barbara mooney board member of the american parkinson's disease association georgia chapter now barbara i used to be on the board of the Georgia chapter of the APDA as well, but it was so long ago that you and I didn't get to know each other on there. Um, but tell people what is Parkinson's disease, because that's also a movement disorder, right. uh, but what is it and how does it differ from what we just listened to? Um, it is very similar. Uh, Parkinson's disease is a slowly degenerative brain disorder, and it's, it results in the loss of dopamine, which uh, also affects movement. And the symptoms are uh, slowness, uh, rigidity, uh, sometimes tremor, not always tremor. Um, loss of smell is one of the first symptoms you might notice. And then, of course, it results in uh, falling, so it makes it difficult. So loss of smell may be one of the first things people notice, and smell affects eating and taste mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. And so are these people, you know, 
like I hear complaints all the time in assisted living, you know, the food's bad, but maybe it's just because they can't taste it because they've lost their smell. Right, right. <laughs> but people aren't at assisted living usually at this stage, right? Do they right. normally live at home? Most cases they do. And it is also difficult to diagnose because it has symptoms that are similar to others. And most people that are diagnosed are in their 60s. But so some of the slowness and tremor you might associate with age. But um, they are normally at home and they're uh, close relative spouses are their primary caretakers. So most people are diagnosed in their 60s. Are they relatively before a Parkinson's disease um, diagnosis? Are they usually fairly independent before that? Yes. And is there a, a trigger, uh, like a stroke? You know you've had a stroke, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, is this like slow, th- slow little things coming on? So you mm-hmm. don't really know what's happening until, boom, now you've got a culmination of things, and that's why we know it's Parkinson's. Right. Most people will notice um, the tremor. A lot of cases it's a tremor or uh, the slowness, some muscle um, weakness, and then they'll start to investigate. And a tremor, is that like when your hands shake? Right. Um, you may just have a minor shake uh, regularly. It could just be like with Michael J. Fox, your pinky, or it could be your hand just constantly uh, shakes when it's in a resting position. Are there other body parts, or is it pretty much just the hand that the hands that tremor? It could be your leg. It could be any part. I've had a friend of mine that has Parkinson's disease say that his hand will start to tremor, and he'll hold his hand, and then his leg will start to tremor. So, <laughs> so she's going to move on down. About, yes. <laughs> um, and then as it progresses, they do have a problem with walking or can, right? Uh, which then leads to fall risk, which is then what leads to people actually having to get home health care sometimes or moving into a different environment? Right. That is a very real um, problem with Parkinson's disease. And that's one of the things that um, keeps people from being more mobile and, and getting out more. But uh, there are treatments for Parkinson's disease and exercise has proven to be, be very beneficial. And so what does the American... Parkinson's Disease Association do to assist people who've been diagnosed? Well, a large part of our uh, mission is to ease the burden, find the cure for Parkinson's disease. And in that, we uh, try to educate. We offer a, um, a monthly education meeting every third Saturday of the month, which you happens have to one be coming up. tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Yes. And that is, uh, it starts at 1030 at Claremont Oaks Retirement Community in Decatur. Do you know what the topic is for tomorrow? Tomorrow, actually, Bill Wilkins is speaking on living together with Parkinson's disease and how we can all come together to live well. And Bill Wilkins actually has Parkinson's, doesn't yes, he? he? Yes, does. Okay. he does. I know Bill. Okay. Um, and so you have education programs. We do. We offer, um, uh, like I said, the monthly education meeting. We have a number of publications available on our website. And um, we have resources such as our Young Onset Center that's available and um that is um, uh, for people that are diagnosed, like I said, primarily they're in their 60s, but we've a uh, more growing population is even as young as 30 or younger. And they have unique um, problems in that they have uh, children and they're still working. So they need that extra resource and we provide that. And speaking of Young Onset, I'm familiar with the Young Onset Support Group, and there's many different support groups mm-hmm. through the APDA, throughout the Atlanta and Georgia area. Right. 
across the nation. We have uh, over 60 chapters across the country and um, hundreds of support groups and INR centers. We have an information and referral center coordinator here in Atlanta that we support at Emory University, and they're all a wealth of information. And so the Georgia chapter, do y'all raise money, and where would that money be allocated towards? What kind of things? Well, we do primarily raise money to support our programs and to support people with Parkinson's. And uh, just recently, one of our largest events has been for exercise. It's been proven that exercise and rigorous exercise can inhibit the symptoms of Parkinson's, and we know how beneficial exercise is. Um, So we have... uh, worked with outside companies to sponsor and sustain exercise classes and to start up new exercise classes. And you also allocate some of the money towards research for the cure. Right. A large part of that goes, uh, actually, the um, American Parkinson Disease Association, since its 1961 inception, has been a part of the every major scientific breakthrough since 1961. So we're proud of that. You are listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Elder and Disability Law Firm of Victoria L. Collier. And we are speaking with Barbara Mooney, board member of the American Parkinson's Disease Association, the Georgia chapter. Now tell me, Barbara, about the caregiver timeout program through the Georgia chapter. Okay. We have a program that we uh, work with one of our uh, our, uh, partners in uh they facilitate it for us because we are a, a chapter made up of volunteers and we don't have the, the resources to do it ourselves. But they can also offer us a broad reach across the state. And it offers caregivers who are the primary caregiver of someone so that they can stay at home and be more comfortable. And that allows the caregiver to go out and take care of their own needs, such as doctor appointments. Kind of like respite care. Right, exactly. Okay. And are there any other programs that you'd like to highlight or research that's being done right now? Um, there is, um, I would just like to say that there are a number of treatments. There are medications. There are some being developed as we speak. There's been some talk that there's something on the horizon, so that's helpful. Like I said, exercise is very important. We uh, sponsor exercise and encourage anyone that's diagnosed to uh, get out, get exercise. We offer everything from Zumba, which you wouldn't mm-hmm. think you could do that, but you can sit in a chair and have a great time. Absolutely. Boxing, it's low impact. Paul Delgado. Who are they hitting? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. who's hitting them? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're having a great time, and um, caregivers can come as well, and it's it's therapeutic both physically and emotionally. I would imagine that the caregivers would want to do the boxing, you know, on the bag. Um, You know, and and because it is. I mean, caregiver um, support and caregiver uh, burnout is so um, prevalent, Mm -hmm. and especially with these kind of disorders because it takes so much of your physical body in addition to the emotional and mental. Um, You know, you can go dig a ditch uh, and use your physical body. You can go be, let's say, a lawyer and use your mental body. But as a caregiver, you're using all of it, you know, Mm -hmm. all of it. Um, And so what kind of fundraising events do you all have coming up um, that people can participate in, they can donate to, Mm -hmm. or they can just be aware of? Well, we we have our largest event coming up very soon. It's in October, October 11th, and it's our casino night, and it's at Atlantic Station, and it's high atop on the 18th floor overlooking the beautiful downtown skyline, Mm. and we offer an outdoor sky deck and uh, also the indoor facility with uh, free food and drink and gaming, um, all the games, and the food is some of the best you'll get, and I'm not being just... uh, 
prejudice here, but, uh, it's <laughs> but you like good. to eat and you know it's good. <laughs> it is very good, and we have a great time. And tickets are available now on our website. We have an early bird pricing, so get it, get your tickets now, and take advantage of that. And we hope that everyone will join us. And uh, of course, we uh, welcome sponsors and um, donors as well. So if you can't join us, you know you can take part and, and support. APDA. And what is that website? It's www.apdagorgia.org. Now, I want to, you know, talk about a little bit of what's going on in the news right now, too, and the very, very sad uh, events of Robin Williams um, committing suicide. And, you know, it was just revealed yesterday that he had, by his wife, um, that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and he had not yet told the public about that. And people are, you know, speculating that maybe, you know, they already knew he had depression because that Mm -hmm. came out um, the day of his suicide, but, you know, can speculate that maybe it was because of that diagnosis. He wasn't handling it very well. Um, He certainly wasn't yet comfortable coming out publicly with it um is that do you see in your experience that that is a common reaction that people commit suicide because they've been diagnosed with parkinson's no it's not common that people commit suicide as a matter of fact with parkinson's you can live a long full life i have a relative that lived well into his 80s and uh, he had parkinson's and i have a dear friend that was diagnosed maybe 20 years ago now that has lived a long full life and serves on one of our committees and i think the most important thing is yes at first you're taken aback by your diagnosis but don't put your head in the sand don't back away from it um partner with your doctors, uh, seek out the help that you need, whether it be uh, uh, definitely a neurologist, uh, a speech therapist, occupational therapist, exercise, get sleep, exercise, it's good for everybody, but um, most definitely in Parkinson's, you don't sleep well, so when you can, get that sleep, eat right, uh, go to a support group, go Mm -hmm. to an exercise class, Mm -hmm. and talk to people that have what you have, and Uh, I know a lot of people are reluctant. They don't want to face it, and they think, if I don't go there, that's not me. But um, Mm -hmm. that's not really a healthy way to to look at it. We encourage you to get out there. And and like I said, you can live a long, full life with Parkinson's. A lady just had a baby recently that I heard that had Parkinson's Mm -hmm. disease. So um, it's definitely something you can live with. And so reach out to the resources. And Sarah, you know, with ALS, I mean, that is a diagnosis of of death, you know, and and maybe people don't want to see it that way. But as you said, you know, your your life expectancy is two to five years. Um, Parkinson's, I would not say, is a diagnosis of death. Um, Mm -hmm. But certainly with ALS, it's a little different. Do you see where people um, maybe feel that way and say, well, I'd rather just take it into my own hands now versus wait and see what my body's going to do to me? Um, or is that also just uncommon? No, I don't think that's a common uh, common thing that happens with a diagnosis mm-hmm. of ALS. Certainly patients who are diagnosed with ALS go through the different stages of grief from anger to depression to finally, okay, how do I live with what, I, what I've got? And I think having a strong community support group, whether it be family or community, and we also offer support groups um, for patients and families and caregivers as well. Um, when they embrace it, it becomes a new normal. How do I deal with my new normal? Mm-hmm. And so when they reach out, then you let them know what the resources are available to help them through that part of the five stages of loss, because that's what they're going through. That's true. Um, and certainly we have other examples 
examples of uh, people with Parkinson's celebrities that have chosen a different route. Um, and, and we do know that Robin Williams had other, you know, issues going on. Um, so a diagnosis of Parkinson's itself um, likely was not any cause of anything. Um, but, um, you know, Michael J. Fox is probably the most well-known uh, with Parkinson's, uh, and he's done so much with it. He continues to act um, and does not hide uh, the effects that it has on his body um, and has set up a foundation as well. Um, and so we would like to encourage all of our listeners that have uh, neurological illnesses, uh, movement disorders, to use the resources around you, investigate, get the education. There's so many resources um, and agencies, the ALS Association, the APDA, uh, that have the, re- the resources and the people there to help. And so I appreciate both of y'all being here today and sharing what uh, your organizations can do for our listeners and for our community. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're listening to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Elder and Disability Law Firm of Victoria L. Collier. And we just listened to Sarah Embro and Barbara Mooney. And we are going to now take this special moment to salute a senior. And today we are saluting Wayne Huey. And I am pleased to announce Wayne's story through his wife and... I'm going to read this. They're not here today. Um, and so I'm going to read what was submitted. And I've ha- I have the pleasure of knowing Wayne personally. Um, and so this is his biological sketch of Wayne C. Huey, Ph.D. Dr. Wayne Huey was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease 14 years ago at age 56. He retired from Lakeside High School a year after his diagnosis to have more time to concentrate on his health and family. Not being familiar with Parkinson's disease, little did he realize that his diagnosis was not the end of an active life. Dr. Huey's career spanned 36 years with the DeKalb County School System, where he first worked as a biology teacher and cross-country track coach. In 1973, he changed schools and took a position as a high school counselor. He received his Ph.D. in counseling psychology in 1979 from Georgia State University. Because of his commitment to helping young people and his desire to be the best counselor possible, he became a national certified counselor and a national certified school counselor. That commitment of love and learning has continued with the focus shifting to PD and how to actively contribute to this field of study. He and his wife have participated in several clinical studies at Emory. He volunteered as a model case example of PD for classes of physical therapists, and he is active in PD educational support groups. In addition to being a full-time high school counselor, he was a part-time instructor in the Department of Counseling and Psychology Services at Georgia State University. He also committed his entire career to his students and professional involvement, becoming a strong advocate for the counseling profession. He served as president of the Georgia School Counseling Association and served in numerous capacities with the American School Counseling Association, where he served two terms on the governing board and chaired the ethics committee for seven years. He also presented programs on various topics, including ethical and legal issues in counseling over 36 states. And Wayne has continued his active involvement with uh, those organizations through his retirement, remaining active despite his diagnosis of Parkinson's. Dr. Huey's expertise has been recognized by many organizations and by his students. He was recognized as the National School Counselor of the Year, National Researcher of the Year, Distinguished Scholar for a uh, academic achievement in educational research, 
Excellence in Education Leadership Award from the Education Board of Education, Distinguished Alumnus Award from Georgia State. I could keep going on and on, but <laughs> Georgia School Counselor Association Lifetime Achievement Award. He also received numerous awards from his students with whom he continues to communicate. His caring for others was noted on one yearbook dedication when students labeled his picture with the quotation, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Over the past 14 years with Parkinson's disease, Wayne has continued to be active in life. He and his wife, Patsy, a retired DeKalb County, uh, Gwinnett County English teacher, have traveled extensively, even climbing the Acropolis in 2012. They have also been active in the lives of their children and grandchildren. Wayne has found that one of the best coping techniques has been involvement in PD research and fundraising. PD involves the whole extended family. Wayne's daughter, Beth, and her husband, Al Levine, have their own Team Fox supporting the Michael J. Fox Foundation. They have raised thousands of dollars for Parkinson's research and their unique activities such as paddling for Parkinson's. And we have a picture of Wayne paddling as well that we'll post on um, the website. Wayne participated in this one by kayaking on Long Island Sound. Patsy's the one who took the pictures. And for Wayne's 60th birthday, his daughters held a fundraising event in his honor. Wayne and Beth even attended a dinner at Tiffany's in New York and met Michael J. Fox. He has also found that attending meetings with the Georgia chapter of the APDA has been very educational and has led to more contacts with others. He also attends a breakfast twice a month with a group in Johns Creek. This past year has been the most challenging for Wayne as he has had to depend on a walker for mobility. However, as a lifelong athlete, he has continued to exercise, one of the most important factors in coping with the symptoms of PD. Wayne has continued to meet the challenge by remaining active, both physically and socially. Wayne and Patsy moved to a very active over 55 community where there are sidewalks, walking trails, and workout room. For men with PD, live four, I'm sorry, four, the number four, four men with PD live in the community and they find support with each other. As a matter of fact, all four couples plan to attend the Michael J. Fox's Partner in Parkinson's Conference, checking into a hotel the night before to make it a weekend event. Socialization with others is a key to remaining positive. All who have met Wayne are inspired by his positive attitude and his continued resolve to remain active. Wayne does share his tips for coping with Parkinson's, and there are seven of them. Stay active and engaged, both physically and mentally. Find a doctor who specializes in PD or movement disorders. Connect with others, keeping communication open. Don't let PD define who you are. Join a support group. Remember that PD is idiopathic and no two cases are the same and participate in clinical trials and so Wayne Huey is our senior salute for the day and you have been listening to senior salute which airs every Friday at 3 p.m. and is also available 24-7 online by visiting seniorsalute.businessradiox.com you can also follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and I want to thank you and thank our guests and our listeners. We salute you. Mm-hmm.